The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents Lair of the Shadow Men, Episode 3. Elizabeth felt a tug at her stomach. She had fretted about this moment. She opened her mouth, and then, with the exaggerated movements of a circus clown, she replied, You knew I had to talk to him, or else you would never have sent me the article. Elizabeth had known several people who could read lips. It was a party trick, like balancing a spoon on your nose. The skill might prove useful, but Elizabeth had never thought much of it. Nor had she ever met anyone who was deaf. Now and again, she would spot an old man struggling to converse with an ear horn. She had even noticed the occasional hearing aid, an electronic device inserted into the earlobe. But this was different. Elizabeth could feel the pressure of the moment, speaking to this girl for the first time, not knowing how well she could read the shifting shape of her mouth, wondering what to do next. Tiffany glared, but slowly, her hard expression melted into an adolescent pout. She was a strange-looking girl, with ragged clothes and tanned skin. She didn't much resemble Edna's daughters, and Elizabeth wondered what her father must have looked like. A man grunted. Elizabeth whirled around, and there was Barnaby, pulling himself over the final rise. He looked grateful for level ground. He crawled on hands and knees, panting for a moment. Barnaby took his time. He stood, straightened, and brushed the mud from his knees. Well, I'll be, he murmured, if it ain't that Hutchison girl. Tiffany scowled. In a flash, she wiped the words from her chalkboard. She wrote a word across it, stabbing the slate with her chalk. When she flipped it over, Elizabeth was startled by the exquisite script, exactly as she had composed her previous notes. The board read, Duff. Duff? Barnaby huffed. What in tarnation is Duff? It's her family name, Elizabeth said quickly. She leaned forward, face to face with Tiffany, and said, If you still trust me, how do we get to the caves? The girl looked away. The presence of Barnaby clearly unnerved her. Yet what could she do? Elizabeth had come all this way. Surely this was her one chance to reveal whatever it was. Something that no one else knew, even her surrogate mother and sisters. At last, she relented. She rolled her eyes, as only an adolescent could, and slumped away, silently bidding them to follow. How had Tiffany ever found such a cave? One moment it was invisible, hidden behind boulders, moss, blankets of leaves, and orange nettles. The next, it was there, a wide black mouth. A rivulet of water seeped from the floor, and the entrance was slick with smooth stones. From a shelf of rock, Tiffany retrieved an oil lamp. 
The wick already flickered. She carried the light into the dark. Every step was careful, knowing, as if she'd tread this pebbled path a hundred times before. Tiffany turned only once to beckon them forward. For the first time, her vocal cords made a sound, a creaky sing-song, like the squeal of a bending tree. The walls were ribbed and moist. Elizabeth's boots slid over the slurry of water and gravel. She looked carefully at the ground ahead, a treacherous path of ever-shifting shadows. Just when Elizabeth thought they had reached the rear of the cave, the light fell on an oblong circle, like a natural gateway. All at once, the floor dropped away. A room opened before them, a cathedral of stalagmites. The pillars of rock rose several feet from the floor, spiked and glistening. Elizabeth saw no way to proceed. She wondered how far the cavern continued and what they were supposed to find in succeeding chambers. Tiffany turned around. She glared at them intently. She raised a finger to her lips. She lifted the lamp, painting the ceiling with light. Elizabeth gasped. Dark shapes clung to the ceiling. Dozens clustered together tightly. They were long tubes tapered at each end, the black surfaces velvety and overlapping like furled umbrellas. But the membranes were stretched and corrugated. She could see the matrix of fine bones. Bats, she thought, but not bats. Larger, bulkier. The feet were familiar. The heel, the arch, the ball. But their pallor was a dark gray. Each humanoid toe extended farther, pointed at the end, into a curled talon which groped the surface of the ceiling. But the strangest thing, the sight that took her breath away, were their faces. Gray, wrinkled, tucked snugly into their wings. The skin looked dense, like clay, yet the crinkles were covered in soft, lanuginous hair. Their eyelids were gently closed. Their puggish noses glistened. Their closed mouths hinted at an overbite. They appeared to suckle their lower lips. They were still, statuesque. But as the lamplight explored the upper reaches, Elizabeth could see them breathing. Their bodies expanded and shrank. Their limbs twitched and rustled in their sleep. One creature stretched its torso beneath the papoose of wings. They were restless, fidgeting, like leaves on a breezy night. My God, whispered Barnaby. My God. Tiffany set down her lamp. She examined the upper reaches with a tranquil expression. Then she reached into the pocket of her dress and pulled out an envelope. The paper was fresh and unfolded, and she presented it to Elizabeth with the formality of a student surrendering an exam. Inside, there was a bundle of papers, a letter written in Tiffany's flawless cursive. You want me to read this now? 
Elizabeth said in her exaggerated way. The girl nodded forcefully. May I read it aloud so my friend can hear? Tiffany hesitated, but then she stepped back, sat down on a rocky outcropping, and shrugged. Elizabeth cleared her throat. Dear Miss Crown, a part of me cannot believe you've come. The moment you stepped through the door of my aunt's guest house, I knew it was you. You are exactly as Dr. Abbott described, and I am so glad. I came here under strange circumstances. My father has left me, and my mother has passed. My aunt has treated me well, to the best of her abilities. But, like anyone who has been misplaced, I have spent some time in isolation. The way I know to communicate is sign language, taught to me by the finest instructors in Connecticut, where this language was first born. You have likely learned all this in your time here, but it is important for you to understand what I must say. I have spent a lot of time exploring this land. Falcon County is an open place, and I would lose myself for days at a stretch. Nearly a year ago, as I was rambling in these hills, I found this cave. And here, I stumbled into these creatures. They were frightened, for they do not know our kind well. They cannot talk like us. But I have won their trust from many visits here. They know me, and I know them. They have been here since the days of the Indians, and perhaps before. These are the only ones of their kind, a family alone, though they say there were once others. I know that this land has been bought, and their time here is scarce. I have warned them of the men who will come and dig mines into this mountain. They need a new place, safe and far from men, yet I know not how to advise them. They are frightened, for they shall lose their home, the only home they have ever known. And I beg you now to help them find sanctuary, as I fear what the men of this land will do to them once they have been discovered. Please help them, for they are my closest friends. As for Dr. Abbott, he was my own doctor. He came to our home to tend to our mother through her hardest times, and then to me after she made her final decision. He said I could always write to him in any time of need. Some months ago, having nowhere else to turn, I told him of these people, for they are, to me, people, strange as they may seem, and he directed me to you. He says you are someone who will believe and can help us. I beg you to do so now. Sincerely, Tiffany Duff. Elizabeth lowered the letter, and as she did, she heard a sniffle. But it wasn't the girl. Tiffany sat stoically by her lamp. Rather, it was Barnaby. The big man crouched nearby. He was hunched over, fists pressed against his lips. He tried to scrub the tears from his eyes, but he couldn't hide the evidence of his emotion. He looked so different from the freewheeling aviator she had known. His face was tender, like a loving father who has heard grave news. He lowered his head. I know a place, he said. Elizabeth started. What? There's a cave. A cavern, really. It's a good ways from here, but I know it well. And it's somewhere they can go, 
Before Elizabeth could reply, she heard a sound, a swish. They all looked up. One of the creatures looked at them, upside down, neck straining to see them. Eyes open, two almonds, bright yellow, and burning through the dark. The wings spread apart, a soft hiss. The skin loosened, the bones extended. The creature arced its back, flexed its arms. Then, with the flourish of a diver, it released its foothold and dropped through the air. The lithe body somersaulted in slow motion, landing gently on the floor. Its limbs spread dynamically, a defensive crouch. Wings trembled, a delicate tension. Golden eyes glittered in the dim light. The creature blinked, accenting those eyes' hypnotic beauty. Tiffany stepped forward. She lowered herself to her knees. She crawled toward the creature, belly against the floor, until they nearly touched noses. She glanced back at Elizabeth. This is important, said her eyes. Tiffany faced the creature, raised her hands, and began to sign. The movements were quick and fluid. Fingers flattened, extended, bundled into fists. Some gestures looked descriptive, like pantomime, while others were tiny articulations in quick succession. Elizabeth had never seen so many physical expressions at once. Even Tiffany's face transformed from moment to moment, echoing the unheard sentences she wove into the air. The hands met, crossed, guided each other, thumped and padded, a melange of forms. Elizabeth marveled at her control and precision. It wasn't a code as she had always imagined. It wasn't a series of wild signals like semaphore. It was a language unfolding in manual paragraphs, each sign blending into the others like rapidly spoken words. The creature looked back at her, attentive, and then, to Elizabeth's amazement, it signed back. The gray hands went to work, slower, clumsier, but performed with the same careful intensity. The signing went on for minutes, back and forth, a silent dialogue between them. I'll be damned, Elizabeth murmured. She's taught them. They can, they can communicate. Elizabeth watched, transfixed. She had never envied an ability so much to be these creatures' sole interpreter, their single doorway to the human world. And how long had they lived this secret existence, here among the Appalachians, hidden from invaders? What millennia of history had they recorded in their own way, and could it ever be conveyed so that Elizabeth could understand it? When, in the millions of bygone years, had they branched away from Homo sapiens? Were there others colonizing these remotest caverns, or were they truly alone, the last of their kind, an oddity that would soon be swept away 
by the drones of industry. Tell them, Barnaby blurted. Tell them I'll, I'll take them there. I'll, I'll guide them in my plane. Tell them. Elizabeth pivoted toward the pilot. She hid her face from Tiffany. She said sternly, Are you sincere? Barnaby bristled. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, said Elizabeth, you're a businessman. We both know it. And I won't have these creatures sold to some sideshow. If they follow you, I won't know where you've taken them. And that's not a risk I like taking. Miss Crown, Mr. Pope, you seem like a very decent man, and I want to believe you. But there's a great deal at stake. These creatures, there might be nothing like them in the world. You must promise me that you'll do the right thing, that this is a selfless act, because I couldn't stand to know that something had happened to them because I trusted the wrong man. Barnaby ground his jaw. Well, he said, I wish I was proud enough to be insulted, Miss Crown. And sure, you don't know me better than a hill of beans. If you want to know what I really think, I don't give a rat's behind about some shadow men. Sure, I can lead them to a cave. Middle of the night, I can come over in my plane. They can fly behind me. I'll be their escort. No skin off my nose. Not that I care. Just a bunch of freaks as far as I can tell. Some kind of inbreeding. Truth be told, them things give me the willies. Barnaby nodded toward Tiffany. But her? That little girl there? She ain't had a square deal in her whole life. I'd hunt down that paw of hers and break every bone in his body if I thought it'd do any good. I'd be giddy to have a daughter like that. It's a crime the miracles men throw away. So I'll tell you truly, and you can carve this into my tombstone. If I do right by a child like that, I'll have lived a worthy life. And if you don't trust that promise, I wish you luck trusting anybody. Because I'm nothing if I'm not honest. Elizabeth studied his face. Well, maybe I'm a fool, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. Elizabeth moved toward Tiffany, slowly, hoping not to startle her. She touched the girl's shoulder, and as she did so, the creature recoiled. It backed away into the dark corner, breathing hard, frozen, like a frightened rabbit. Tiffany, Elizabeth said, Barnaby will take them to safety. You can trust him. I promise you. They will be safe, at least for now. With that, the girl crumpled. Her face was corrugated with emotion. Elizabeth tried to imagine it, not just to relinquish their fate into the hands of a stranger, but to give them up, to send them away, maybe forever, to know that these things, the friends she had made, the language they had shared, would evaporate. The very thing she'd prayed for, to ferry them to safety, would sacrifice everything she had known. All those secret memories flashed across her face, the layers of love. Now, in a few minutes, she had brokered their survival. 
and at the cost of everything she held dear. But still she turned. Tears rolled down her cheeks. She raised her hands again. Her signs were slow and jagged. The creature responded. The only noise in the cavern was the whisk and patter of their hands. Then they stopped. No motion, no sound, only held breath. The creature looked up at them. The eyes, devoid of irises, were inscrutable. But then it raised a hand to its lips and let it drop, like a drawbridge falling, like the blowing of a kiss. Tiffany took her slate in hand. She wrote, Thank you. The afternoon was blindingly bright, and Elizabeth rubbed her eyes. She balanced on the edge of the cliff, gazing at the valley below. She observed the high hills rising opposite, also dense with trees, and the long meadow that lay between them, as flat and placid as a pond. She could see the plain standing loyally in the grass. But then she squinted, her body tensed, and she crouched low. She waved a hand, silently signaling the others to do the same. Barnaby turned his head to the side, confused, but then he obeyed, gingerly pulling Tiffany down with him. What is it? he whispered. Looks like we have company, Elizabeth whispered back. Elizabeth pulled the binoculars from her satchel. She peered through the lenses, and there, stationed by the plane, were two figures. They were hard to make out. The magnification was too weak to afford detail. Both of the men were clearly big, wearing fedoras. The points of rifles rose from their shoulders. They walked in slow circles around the plane, touching the metal intermittently. I have a feeling, said Elizabeth, those are company men, and they're keeping an eye on their new investment. Oh, hell, muttered Barnaby. I should have seen this coming. They must be clear in the land of trespassers. He spat in the dust. Looks like I'll be spending your fee on some damn bribe. Elizabeth shook her head. She bit her lip pensively keeping her eyes on the unwelcome strangers. No, she said, they mustn't see you. Nonsense, Barnaby retorted. Them company boys can be rough around the edges, but they never say no to money. But you've worked for them, Elizabeth rejoined. They might know who you are, and they'll certainly identify your plane. And won't they wonder what you're doing here? They'll think you found something they should know about. And if they're decent trackers, they'll follow our footsteps right to this cave. And once they do that, the game is over. Barnaby swallowed hard. I can't argue with you there. I'd probably do the same thing now that you mention it. So what do we do? Elizabeth grimaced. She put away her binoculars and dusted off her skirt. I think I know a way, she said and it might just fix all our problems at once. We'll have to act fast, 
and you must do exactly as I say. But first, I'll need your goggles. Elizabeth stepped out of the glade. She strode across the grass, the toes of her boots kicking stones. She squared her shoulders, marching with perfect gusto. She saw the men. Now they crouched by the biplane, resting beneath the wing's shade. She recognized the moment they spotted her. They rose to their full height, nodded to each other, and meandered forward in the cocky way of mercenaries. They adjusted the guns strapped to their shoulders, which were shotguns, it seemed, not rifles, but the weapons remained slung. Elizabeth breathed deeply. She forced a quizzical smile. She detested encounters like this, outnumbered, exposed, in the middle of nowhere. But even from a distance, she could read the puzzlement on their faces. Who was this woman, alone, emerging from the wilderness? Why did she wear a leather cowl and scarf? Why were goggles affixed to her forehead? Even as they guarded a grounded airplane, they could not explain her presence. They glanced at their surroundings. If she were a passenger, where was the pilot? How wary should they be? Elizabeth halted. Before the men could speak, she pointed boldly and called, I see you found my plane. Her voice surprised them. The men stopped in their tracks, about ten yards before her. Uncomfortably close, but still far enough for her to run. They were a young pair, haggard and unshaven. Their gray cotton shirts were blotchy with sweat, and their suspenders were maladjusted. One of them chewed at a twig. "'Your plane, huh?' said one. "'It is now,' said Elizabeth. The men glanced at each other. "'You know this here's private property?' said the second. "'You don't say.' "'I do say, missy, and we don't take kindly to intruders.' "'Well, then,' said Elizabeth, "'I should be on my way.' "'Well, see, there's the thing,' said the first. "'There's a hefty fine for trespassing.' "'But we could work something out,' said the second. Elizabeth put a hand on her hip. The gesture was meant to look brazen, but her hand was now closer to her satchel. "'Could we?' she said. "'Pretty girl like you?' said the second. "'I'm sure you've got something we want.' "'Like an airplane?' Elizabeth said. "'Not what I was thinking,' said the first. "'And anyway, I have my doubts you even own this here contraption.' The man's arm crossed his chest. The movement was casual, almost unnoticeable, but Elizabeth watched him grasp the shotgun's strap. In seconds, he could pull the weapon into position. Wait too long, and he could aim, pull the hammer. In an instant, she could be powerless, entirely at their mercy. They had morphed so easily. At first, a couple of swaggering country boys. Now, wolves, hungry, desperate to pounce. Their faces twisted with a growing zeal. Look away, 
and they would seize their chance. Well, it is mine, said Elizabeth, shoving out the words, ever since I stole it. The second man spat out his twig. Ever since you what? Stole it, Elizabeth repeated, from some hick pilot. He never saw it coming. The first chuckled morosely. And how'd you pull that off, missy? With this. Elizabeth wrenched the Colt 45 from her satchel. She cupped it in both hands and leveled the barrel at the men. They jolted, stepped back. Their shadowy eyes bolted open. What the hell? Drop him, ordered Elizabeth. Now. The first man let the shotgun slide off his shoulder and thump to the ground. He raised his hands, fingers curled. But the second stayed put. It don't have to be like that, he said, smiling eerily. Come on, darling. Elizabeth aimed the gun at his neck. Call me darling again, I dare you. His eyebrows converged, his hand still rested on his strap. Then he pursed his lips and whistled. Seems pretty cold-blooded, don't it? I mean, we two's just doing our job. You really gonna kill a man in cold blood? Elizabeth snickered. I don't have to. I'll leave that to my friends. She raised the revolver. The muzzle faced the sky. She pulled the trigger, and she felt the weapon explode in her hand. The men shuddered, dumbstruck, as the report echoed through the valley. They looked around, disoriented, trying to understand what was happening, what this strange woman had meant. And then they heard it. A rustle in the uppermost trees, the rush of wind, the flap of wings. Black shapes burst from the branches. The wings spread wide. The bodies, unmistakably human, levitated over the forest. A dozen, a score, joining each other in practiced formation. They soared across the blue, but it wasn't until their shadows whisked over the grass that their presence became real and the men began to scream. They stumbled backward. The armed man fumbled with his shotgun. For a moment, Elizabeth thought he might take aim and fire, but he panicked, whirled around, and bounded past the plane. The creatures, barrel-rolled, ascended into a collective wave, then dove. They flew low over the meadow, just grazing the men's battered hats. The goons tumbled over themselves, shrieking with terror as the creatures rose again. But there was no time for a second attack. The young men flung themselves into the bushes, out of sight. Barnaby sprinted out of the woods, he charged toward Elizabeth, shouting, You all right? Elizabeth nodded, allowing the nausea to flow through her. I'm fine, but you have to go. They can't stay in the air long or someone's bound to notice them. Roger that, Barnaby said, jogging toward his plane. Then he called over his shoulder. I'll meet you back at the hangar. Just get them to their new caverns, Elizabeth commanded. Get them there safe. Those final minutes passed in a daze. 
Elizabeth grabbed the propeller and pulled it down. The plane roared to life. Barnaby waved as he picked up speed. He lifted into the air. It receded above the evergreen spires. Elizabeth visored her eyes against the sun. She watched the plane make a slow circle over the mountains. The flock of shadow men rose higher with the spectral grace of crows and followed the plane upward beyond the jagged skyline. The afternoon sun turned pale and shadows slouched across the barren field. A chill settled over the valley, a reminder that spring was still young. Elizabeth turned around toward the cave. She fumbled for her binoculars. She focused her lenses on the ridge. There, standing alone, was Tiffany. She hugged herself. The girl looked tiny, lost in a tidal wave of brown and green. Waifish, shocked, a speck in the enormity of the world. Yet there was something about her expression. Not a smile, not a frown, a resolve. She didn't move. She only waited there, watching those shadows fade from view, as if drawing a map across the sky. You've been listening to Layer of the Shadow Men, Episode 3. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music by Naoya Sakamata, Sixomatic, and Eric Satie. For more information about the exciting world of Uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net. And if you like what you're hearing, consider making a donation at our Patreon page. Thanks for listening.